there, and welcome back to I Hadn't Considered That. I am your host, Vanessa Tori, and I have such a treat for you today. I have an amazing conversation that I am bringing to you that is one of those conversations where, have you ever sat in a moment, you're talking to someone, and you're so fully aware of that conversation and how words kind of hang around you? And you know when you're having this conversation that, man, this is a big conversation. This is an important conversation. And I'll tell you, that is how I felt the entire time that my friend Natalie Merrill and I were having this conversation. Because we dig into what is one of the most universal experiences that any human being is going to encounter in their lives, and that is loss grief, healing, and moving forward with your life after such an incredible part of your life ceases to be. Whether it is the loss of a person, the loss of a part of your identity, whatever it is, every single one of us feels loss. And so I feel certain that every single person that finds this podcast is going to be able to connect with it because you have felt a loss. And I don't know where you may be in the processing of that loss. You may be just starting your journey. You may have walked down the road, that long, hard, rugged road that is full of potholes and have come out the other side of a very dark tunnel that was the end of that road. Wherever you are, I can tell you that this was one of the most magical conversations that I have had in a long time. And I will tell you, Natalie and I both have the gift of gab, and she and I can talk for hours about just about anything. So as effortless as conversation with my friend always is, this was a conversation that I sat in, in the moment, absolutely aware and grateful grateful that I got to experience it because it touched my heart, it touched my soul. And I hope that it does that for you too. Speaking of conversations, again, I want to remind you that this coming Wednesday, May 11th, we have a Wine Wednesday. Wine Wednesday is such an amazing way for us to all connect and to have these conversations that you're listening to real time with other people that have experiences that they want to share. Oftentimes we have past guests that will show up to Wine Wednesday. So we may touch on something that has been talked about in another podcast. Either way, it is community. And the reason why I bring that up is because Community is such a vital part of our healing process. In talking about this grief, in talking about loss, Natalie and I have to get into the concept of community and what it means to be with the people that are important to you. So please, by all means, check out the website, all the information's in the show notes. It's through the Patreon that you can sign up to get all sorts of other benefits. But the one that I love the most, the one that is the most meaningful to me right now is that Wine Wednesday. So jump over there, check that out. And we will see you on Wednesday to talk about this a little bit further. In the meantime, please enjoy this wonderful conversation. And I hope that you learn so much about yourself and your understanding, even of those who've experienced grief and you have a little bit more of a peaceful mindset about that whole experience because loss and grief are hard, but they also are beautiful. And I'm so grateful to be able to share with you the beautiful side of grief and loss and healing. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I'm sitting with my dear friend, Natalie Merrill, and Natalie and I are going to be talking about grief today, and this is a topic that is very close to our hearts and something that is 
a universally felt emotion that has touched every single person that exists in this world. It is nearly impossible to move through your life without ever experiencing grief. And we're going to be talking about all different parts of it and all different ways that it affects our lives. But before we get to that, I want to introduce you to my friend Natalie, and I'm going to have her tell you a little bit about herself and why this topic is so close to her heart. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, doll. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm Natalie Merrill. I'm 26, born and raised in Arizona. I'm a singer-songwriter. That's definitely my main passion. Um, and I would say I have gone through grief, right? I am no expert at all. I don't think anybody really can be because it's so personal. I lost my dad almost two years ago now, suddenly to a brain aneurysm. And I have just been in it and I've learned so much about grief. I think it's incredibly interesting and we all have it in some way, shape or form. And it's a beautiful thing to talk about. It's not talked about enough. So I'm excited to be here and talk with you about it. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, and you just touched on something that is pivotal for us to talk about right out of the gate, because I think that there are a lot of mis perceptions regarding grief and something that I had ignored my own grief for so long because I invalidated my own grief because a lot of the grief that I had experienced in my life was not associated with the loss of a loved one. I had been spared that for such a long period of my time that I never identified what grief was in my life and how it interacted. So one thing that I want to talk about is sort of defining grief and what is or is not grief. And so to do that, I went to one of our favorite resources. <laughs> There's an amazing book. I'm going to put the link to it um, on Amazon in the show notes so that you can check it out. It is, without a doubt, one of the greatest resources that deals with grief that I have ever seen. Um, I know that Natalie read it as well. And in there is a wonderful definition of grief. So before we even get into this, let's talk a little bit about what grief is. Absolutely. And the definition that the book, which is called The Grief Recovery Handbook by John W. James and Russell Friedman, defines grief as the conflicting feelings caused by the end of or change in a familiar pattern of behavior. So breathe that in. Yeah. It's not just a death. No. At all. And I think that it's so stigmatized, grief is. Mm -hmm. Like, no one talks about it. No one learns how to talk about it in school because they're afraid of it. And the thing about it is it's the one thing we all know is going to happen. Let's mm -hmm. say, I would never compare types of grief, but let's say that death is the worst kind. Let's right. just say that, right? It's going to happen to all of us. That's like the one thing we know for sure will happen to us and everyone we know and love. Yes. Like the statistics are crazy on that. Yeah. 100% of the people 100% that this of world people. leave this world. <laughs> and it's crazy that we don't talk about it because it's universal. Yeah. But like that definition, it's the loss of anything. And it's, it's changes in things too. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's a great definition and I wish it was taught in schools. Yeah, I think that toward the idea of it being stigmatized, it goes right hand in hand with the idea of we're not supposed to talk about our feelings. Yep. And grief is a very deeply personal experience. And everyone goes through it differently. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit as well as the different ways that we experience grief and how others see our grief and our experiences of grief. But I think that because it is something that is so deeply personal to our hearts, it's hard to crack that open yeah, and let it out into the world. But what I've learned is that we have to. Um, so just real quickly, because I want to talk about how our stories kind of intersect, is I had, as I mentioned, not processed my grief for quite some time. And it was not until your dad passed that that was like I had been carrying around what I would call like a grief bag, right? Yep. So we all have this grief bag that we carry in our lives. And 
something happens in our life, we lose a job, we lose a pet, something happens that causes us to grieve. We don't do it, we just tuck it in this little bag. And I think that everyone's got a grief bag, but they vary in size. Yep. Some people have like Santa's damn knapsack, right? <laughs> like they can fit a lot of shit in their grief bag. Yeah. And then some of us have like a little coin purse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? But I think everybody's going to get to the point where they have to let go of the grief bag. They can't carry it anymore. It's all the same stuff. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, if we don't deal with it, we have sort of an internal crisis. It compounds. Right. It doesn't just... Like you stuff it down, you put it on a shelf. When you take it back down, it's not the same size. Mm -hmm. It's bigger. Yeah. It's not the same hurt. It's, it hurts more. Yeah. Because you've let it kind of fester and grow and metastasize. And like I said, compound. So any loss that you have um, is just going to add up over time. And unfortunately since we're taught kind of as a culture to suppress emotions and move on and, you know, be strong and all of these things, it ends up destroying you and it ends up destroying your relationships. It's a horrible form of self-sabotage, honestly, to not grieve. Right. Well, and you had an experience where you didn't see that you were ever going to have to experience this grief. Absolutely. You were ill-prepared. Totally. And there are some griefs that people will see coming, whether it's the death of a marriage, whether it's a family member in hospice. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily make the grief any easier, but there's a mental preparation that goes into it. Mm -hmm. But you had no mental preparation for that. Yeah. It, you know, I don't know what it's like to lose someone slowly, I've lost grandparents, so it was expected, right? Um, but I, I don't know what it's like to lose someone, um, you know, who gets diagnosed with cancer early and then and be with them through that suffering and then lose them. Luckily, very lucky that way. Um, my dad was fine. He sold his house with my mom, and four hours later, he died. So the whiplash of that is like, nothing I've ever experienced. I don't think I could have prepared for it, even if I tried. Mm -hmm. And then you also have these mini griefs around with it. So for me, it wasn't just the loss of my dad. It was the loss of a sense of security, a sense of what my family looked like to me, um, what I thought my future would be him meeting grandkids, mm -hmm. who's walking me down the aisle, all of these things come up. You're not just losing this person. You're losing a future. You're losing ideas. And that is universal, though, if you're going through a divorce. You're losing sure. what you thought the future would be. And I think sudden losses are just, just as painful as slow losses. I think they're just different. Right. I don't think one is worse because I don't, I haven't experienced a different kind. Um, they're just terrible in their own beautiful ways is what I would say. Well, and it goes back to the idea of comparative suffering Yep, is the root of all evil. And we can't, if we're going to process our own grief, we can't compare our grief to somebody else's grief. No. And we also, I think that when people compare grief, they have a tendency to do that in a way that minimizes themselves, mm -hmm. right? So when you look at it and say, this is something that I'm going through, this is a grief that I'm going through, but oh my gosh, this person lost two family members this year. I've only lost one family member. Mm -hmm. My grief is so much less than theirs. It doesn't work that way. No, it, it makes it worse mm -hmm. because you think by saying that, you're gonna feel better because you get sudden perspective. Not only do you feel the same, you are just, the worst loss is whatever one you're going through, right? Mm -hmm. It's personal. Not only do you feel bad about the grief, now you feel bad about feeling bad, mm -hmm. right? You feel mm -hmm. bad because you think, well, wait, there's a war going on and people are losing their lives all the time. That is true and real and horrible. But to deflect from your own or or somebody else's to say like well you have no idea what I went through you know you just can't compare grief is 
the same. It's the same thread. It looks very different, but it's all got the same thread. I always connect it back to how do I react to people in their moment of suffering or grief. And I don't think that I have ever in my life looked at somebody who's going through some seriously difficult shit and thought that they didn't have the right to mm-hmm. feel that way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why I have ever in my life assumed that there's an entire legion of people out there that don't think that I have the right to my own grief. Yep. And if there are people, then you know who to weed out of your life Exactly. Quickly. Those people so, don't matter. Oh, thank you for letting me know that now. True colors, all good, but we're not, we shouldn't be in each other's atmosphere. So tell me a little bit about what your experience has been in processing that grief and those immediate times after the passing of your dad and then how that transformed over time. Mm-hmm. Well, the first couple weeks, and honestly, it was like 40 days. We kind of joked about it being like a 40-day wake. Um, to give some background, if, if people are listening that don't know him, he was the most loved person I've ever known. For sure. Everybody's best friend, the most generous, kind, like all the things. And I know everybody says that about their person when they died, but I said about this, I said that about him when he was around. So it was a, a shock wave through our entire community and friends. And we're lucky we have a huge, huge family, huge community. The first couple weeks were a blur. I will say that. Um, it was a balance of shock and then utter just sadness with these moments of levity where I've never laughed so hard. I've never connected with my friends and family so deeply because it kind of was like you entered our house, you took off your armor, you took off any bullshit, and -hmm. you just were real and raw humans, like open balls of nerves, honestly. And as painful as that is, to be in the presence of so many people that are also feeling an extreme loss and showing up for you and being vulnerable and not telling me to suck it up and not telling me he's in a better place, sitting with me saying, I love you. This is really hard. I am here. I don't know what to do, but I'm here. I got you. That was incredible. And I, I you know, the time since... I can only describe it as like, like I said, open nerves. I can only describe it as like just layers of really thin skin kind of developing over that, Um, and which is nice, but it's new skin, and I'm figuring out who that is, and I think, you know, they say like time heals all things, and I I think, and also... um, it's the further away that I've seen him. Like if it's, it'll be two years in August, two years. Okay. We've gone through two Christmases. I've had two birthdays. Life has moved forward. I wouldn't say move on. I do not say move on. Um, but it's also two years since I've seen my dad. Right. So that's crushing. And so to hold both that space to, to feel like you can, live in the world and move forward with him. I'm lucky to be literally half his DNA is me. Like, that's amazing. You can move forward, but everything I do is infused with grief and with loss and then with the deep love that I have for my dad. Counting space and looking at your grief in a very linear pattern. I am such a linear person. Yeah. Like, I am just like, if I could create a spreadsheet for my grief, I would create a spreadsheet for my grief. Girl, I know. I wanted to get an A in grief so bad. Seriously. No one's grading papers. Right, man. But looking at your grief from a time space mm-hmm. level, was that comfort to you or not to look at it and go through the milestones? And I remember watching your family go through firsts without your dad. Mm -hmm. Was that a comfort to you to have that behind you? Did you see it with a sense of 
dread because I think that's what a lot of people realize is like if I can make it to the through the first year if I can make it through this holiday then I'll be okay and they get it behind them and you've gone through an entire one-year cycle now Mm -hmm. there's all of these other things that are going to be there that you haven't processed yet in a time capacity was that any comfort to you or, or was it more of a detriment a little bit of a relief when like I laid my head on my pillow at on Christmas and I was like okay we got through the first Christmas right that there's a relief there it's it's so bittersweet though it's so two sides because the second that you're having joy and these beautiful moments with my incredible family that we've only gotten closer with there's this other it's like a seesaw you're like oh my gosh but at like it's like grief jabs like it's joy jabs though you know Mm -hmm. like it's you feel the joy and then you're like but we don't have that person oh my god right and so that's really sad I think um you know moving through our firsts was a milestone that we were really proud of um to just be able to actually do it and not kill each other in the process um but you can't prepare yourself for it. And it's just, I'm a linear person too. I love, I loved math. I love a straight answer to things. Unfortunately, grief is like a spiral meets a spider web meets a a staircase to nowhere meets a Ferris wheel. Like there is no linear anything. No, there's not. You literally will be two years in or whatever. I'm a year and a half in and feel like it just happened yesterday. Yeah. You go, I think you go a few steps forward, one step back. I think you're always moving forward and you're always hopefully healing when you have the right support system around you and therapy and all the things. But um, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely not linear, which sucks. It'd be so much easier if yeah, it was if linear. Yeah, if there was, I mean, as much as this might be a grief recovery handbook that I'm holding in my hands, yeah. there is really no handbook. And th- which brings me to something that you mentioned earlier that I really want to delve into, which is there is no right or wrong way to process grief. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a idea that we have to remove out of our heads, not only if we are going to process our own grief, but if we are going to be the kind of person that is going to allow somebody their space to process their own grief. Yep. One of the things that I think is, highly stigmatized is that people come under criticism when they are grieving for what they do in their moments of grief. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember from this handbook here that there's a term for how we process thing and it's called a STURB, which is a short term energy releasing behavior. Mm. And this is one of the key ways in which people will process their grief is through STURBs. And some of them can be healthy. Some of them can be exceptionally unhealthy, but regardless of that, we own them. Mm -hmm. So on a very innocuous level, a short-term energy releasing behavior could be that you start running. When I went through my first divorce, I ran. Mm -hmm. I ran all the time. And I would just, that was how I had to get out all of that energy from not knowing what the hell was happening in my life. All of a sudden I went from this family and I would do the same thing that you were talking about regarding imagining your life. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at this beautiful daughter of mine who's two years old. And I'm thinking about everything that I had thought that I had built for her as far as a life. And all of a sudden (laughs) that was totally gone from my life. And I mourned that. And the only way that I could do it was I just, I, I ran. But the non-productive ones can be turning to alcohol, drugs, shopping, sex, spending money that you don't have. It's not our place to judge that. No, no. It, you know, grief is so personal and how you process it is so personal. Um how someone processes my processing of grief is a you problem. Like sure. that is a you problem. That is not a me problem. That is you obviously have stuff in your heart and in your past that you haven't dealt with. And if you're judging the way that I am processing, that is a you thing. Sure. The caveat to this is if you are hurting yourself or those around you 
in a way that's pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think you should judge that person. I think the people who really love that person steps in when necessary. Right. So right when my dad died, Nina, my sisters, um, Nina and Hallie, and then my mom and I sat down and we had this rule and we said, let's not judge each other's grief. And I swear that rule saved our family because, and it was the caveat was like, if if you're hurting yourself or you're hurting other people, then we're going to intervene. We're not going to judge. We're going to intervene. We're going to be there for you. We're going to hold you up, but we are not going to judge. I don't think death tears a family apart. I think the judgment of how everybody's grieving tears a family apart. Sure. And well, in the entire idea of a short-term energy releasing behavior is that it is short-term. Yep. When a short-term energy releasing behavior becomes a long-term energy releasing behavior. Then you're just burning out. Right. Then that's- You could do too much running easily. Oh, 100%. And that's, I think, when people need to step in and say, we might need to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And helping folks to find resources. But you and I both know that we also can't force anybody into their own healing. It takes people their own time to get there. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of leads me to something else, which is when we see other people going through grief and I feel like when your dad passed, I had this moment of panic of God, I want to be there for you. I want to be there for your whole family. I don't know what to do. I have no clue what to do. And of course, what did I do? Because it is what I do whenever anybody has any food. moment of grief. It's the food. I'm going to show up. Delicious I'm gonna, food. I'm going to be like, okay, you're going through this. Have you eaten? What did you eat? And it's then very I'm important. Gonna, I'm going to show up with all the food because that's just, that for me is, I know that people have to eat. It's a biological necessity. And so I'm just going to show up because literally I don't know how to do anything else. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to feed people and I'm going to hope that's Okay. But I think that a lot of people have that moment of, oh my God, what do I do? And I know that there are people that will even avoid a situation or the grieving out of fear that they're going to do something wrong, say something wrong, act in, in a way that is not how the grieving desire them to. What do you, what do you say to that? Like how, because I think there were a lot of people that wanted to be there for you. What can we say to those who want to comfort us that allows them to feel like it's okay to be in the room. Yeah. So, um, I think when someone you love is going through grief and you're feeling pain as well, you're feeling pain for them. Maybe you are close to that person as well. First, you have to look at yourself and seeing what is this bringing up within me? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, am I afraid that's going to happen to me? Am I afraid I didn't say enough to that person? You know, see what it kind of is bringing up within you first. And that's really hard to do. And I think that's why a lot of people just say like, I can't go there. Like it's too hard. It's too much because they're going there within themselves. It really is just about that. So one, I would just kind of look at yourself and see what it's bringing up in you because that's what pain does. It brings pain of your people up, um, and, and feel it and, and try to understand where that's coming from before you walk into the room. And this could be a few deep breaths. I don't mean like go to therapy and talk about it before you're there for your friend. I mean saying, why is this affecting me so much? What grief have I not dealt with? Okay, now I'm in pain. So I have to realize that I'm going into a situation where a lot of people are in pain. I'm in pain also. There's no right thing to do. There's a lot of wrong things to do, I think. Um, Saying like phrases like, oh, he's in a better place or Mm. like, come on, you know. Yeah. Um, There's a few weird phrases, but I think the one thing to do is just show up. Just show up as you are. Show up in your yoga pants and your hair on top of your head and no makeup on. I don't care if you've showered. I don't care. Show up, sit next to me and feel this pain with me right? because I'm afraid I can't feel it on my own. And so I felt like all of the people around me did such an incredible job 
of not putting a positive spin on it, mm-hmm. not seeing the silver lining, not trying to push me forward at all, just literally sitting there in this hot, like it wasn't hot, but like it felt hot. Like you feel like you're in, when you're in deep pain, you kind of just feel like you're coming out of your skin. And so people that were willing to sit there with me and take even a fraction of that sure. was amazing. And, and also realize there's nothing to fix because nothing's broken. They're grieving. They're not broken. Like th- that's just it. We're not broken people. We're just grieving people. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing to fix. Right. It, grief cracks us. Yep. But grief does not break us. No. There's a lot holding us together. It's our own structure holds us together. Mm-hmm. Our own strength holds us together. But for me, I've always seen it as the best way that people can comfort me in any time of grief for me is that I don't need people to fix something. But my cracks, by all means, stand there with the tape on your outstretched fingers. Yeah. So that if I need a piece of damn tape, to stick on one of my cracks until I'm healed, yep. give me a piece of tape. Mm-hmm. Like, help me out because it's just the act of standing by. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's a fear that a lot of people have that whatever they're going to say or do is going to be wrong or not enough. That stops us from wading into that. You just need to remember that the grieving person isn't putting much weight into what you say. Mm-hmm. Like I said those first couple weeks, I couldn't tell you what anyone told me. I literally, but I know how they made me feel. Yeah. I know the people that were there that made me feel like I was on a little bit of solid ground for Mm -hmm. a few minutes. I knew the people that would just hand me plates of food and water. They didn't ask me what I want. They just gave it to me. Sure. That's another thing too. Don't ask people what they need. They don't know either. No. Right? So just show up with food or whatever your thing is. Show up with something But really just be like, I am here. Like, I am here. Pick up the phone. Don't just text. That's huge. If you can't be there in person, pick up the phone and just say, I am so sorry that this happened to you. I am here. I don't, I can't, I know there's nothing I can say that can make it better. But just know that I I will do my best to soften the edges. Mm -hmm. I will bring you dinner. I will pick the kids up, I, whatever it is. Like, so definitely do that stuff when there's stuff to do and then realize when there's nothing to do except sit with that person who's crying and in such deep pain and you just are holding space. It's really it. It's as simple and complicated as that. There's a lot that bubbles up from that. Grief is not a solitary emotion. Grief opens up the door and there's like a small little parade that follows behind it of all these other little emotions that are coming along like, oh, you're going in that direction. Let me come with you. Oh, let me also give you some rage and some mm-hmm. anxiety and fear. And like, there's so many attached emotions. Go ahead. No, that's, uh, that's exactly what I wanted to delve into is how was that process for you? Was that immediate that you recognized that? Or was that more of the, okay, this, this impact, we've made impact, there has been impact, and now like the dust has settled, and then that's when you realize there's like a whole party going on in the grief room with yeah. all of these other emotions that you did not friggin' invite to the damn party? Yeah. Did it happen all at once, or was it something that slowly progressed over time? So I'm still finding emotions. that are tied to the grief that I didn't really, I couldn't verbalize in the beginning. Um, Therapy, 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 therapy. Seriously, get your ass to therapy, whoever's listening to this. Um, Big proponent. Helped me so much. I did EMDR because just we were at the hospital a couple days and it was very traumatizing. It was during COVID. We couldn't go back there. They were still doing tests. There was a time where he might make it. It was really hard and then of course they let us see him which was amazing but like seeing him like that just very traumatizing Mm -hmm. um and I'm I'm okay to deal with the pain and the sadness of that but the trauma of that was something I had to work through in therapy tell people what EMDR is that may not be familiar yeah so EMDR is a kind of therapy where you it's it's pretty tough because you're talking about the trauma in as grave detail as you possibly can over and over while doing something 
to keep your brain occupied. So for me, it was tapping. It was like tapping on my legs or on my um, arms. And you're telling the story over and over. It trains your brain not to be in that moment completely emotionally. Mm-hmm. Because what happens when you're in trauma is when you think about it, it's as if you're right back there. Mm-hmm. And so now I can feel those feelings and talk about those days without feeling like I'm back in that hot, like literally on the bathroom floor at the hospital crying. Like that anytime I would drive past that hospital, I would have to pull it like, and that is not a pain I would wish on anybody. But anyway, getting to your question about the amount of emotions, I think you just kind of have to realize the loss that goes with the loss of the person. So whatever it is to you. So For me, it was my dad, so it was the loss of family, you know, loss of certainty, like I was saying, the loss of future safety. He was just like the the glue, the like security, the, you know, the carpet underneath us. And what also was crazy was it was in the middle of COVID. So for me, it felt like the rug had been pulled under me when COVID happened, like everyone, right? Right. And I found solid ground underneath that rug with my family, which was amazing. But then when my dad died, rug again. And I was like, oh, there is no ground. Like, I'm my ground. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. You are your own Mm -hmm. ground. But I just felt like two rugs were ripped. And what was I going to do? And I think you just have to have a great support system, but you have to just be there for yourself and allow all emotions and know that emotions are temporary. They pass. You cannot feel one way forever. You just can't. You might feel that way for a day. You might feel that way for a week. But if you really pay attention, you aren't feeling that one emotion all day. You're going to have a moment where you laugh. So even if you think, God, I've been sad for a month, you have had moments without the sadness. So just understand it's an ebb and flow and there's no bad feelings. It's just life and you've got to feel the bad stuff to feel the good stuff. You cannot selectively numb anything. And so beyond the therapy, which again, I'm a huge advocate. How did you continue to heal from this? What were some of the other things that you felt were beneficial for you in experiencing this? And how did you approach that work so therapy too just a note on that like very expensive Mm -hmm. um I wish everyone had access to it yeah but they don't so if you're listening and you don't have access to that don't lose hope um there's plenty of free resources I dove into books and podcasts about grief um the only pitfall in that was I was trying to like be good at grief right yeah like I've always been type a get good grades in school I was trying to like pass the grief course right yeah so that is bullshit first of all it's not a test it's not a course it's a lifelong thing you're gonna have to deal with I think the main thing you take everything down to its bones you take Working out, you take, you know, um, journaling or um, spending good times with friends and having real conversations. If you break that all down, the common thread of all these healthy healing things is that you're feeling your feelings. So when in doubt, feel your feelings. Let them move through you. They're energy in your body. They are shifting your cells. They are literally affecting your cellular makeup of your body. And they will stick there unless you let it out. Mm-hmm. Like that book, The Body Keeps the Score. I don't yes. know if you've read that. but It's it, right on my shelf over there. Scientifically, stress, pain, all of that stays in your body unless you release it. So for me, it was working out. I've always loved working out. Um, but what it comes down to is just feeling it. And yes. that's so scary. But I'm telling you, the grief is not going to kill you what you choose to numb it, like mm-hmm. too much drinking. First of all, I drink. Let's be clear on that. I'm not yeah. condemning drinking. I'm just saying binging every night, going overboard, uh, pills, drugs. That could kill you. Sure. But feeling it, never going to kill you. Well, I want to go back to what you were saying with the um, the EMDR and with the therapy. And, and I, 
I think it's important to recognize that there's a science behind grief too, because yep. that's just kind of how my brain works is like, I need to understand not only psychologically and emotionally what's happening, but physiologically what is happening. And to the EMDR, which stands for eye, eye movement, movement, desensitization and, re- and reprocessing. There we, go. we got it. <laughs> like, whew, like that, I feel like that was just a test and we both just got A's oh and my I'm gosh. really super proud Very of us. Very happy about that. So for those of you who are not completely and totally OCD, because I know also... Natalie and I read a lot and we are very same, same. And if there is something that is happening, we want to know all about it. We want to know everything. We will delve into it. We will listen to four podcasts, Mm -hmm. read three books, find some sort of journal article, find people to talk to about it. But when I was studying my grief and trying to process this, there's, there's something that happens to our body psychologically when we experience trauma. Um, And what you're talking about with not being able to drive by the hospital and not be triggered is an absolutely normal reaction to trauma because there's two parts of our brain. One is the amygdala, which is sort of our emotional sensor center, which is not always rational. And then you've got the prefrontal cortex, which is all of that intellectual, rational, all of this makes sense. Mm -hmm. Traumatic memories live inside the amygdala, right? So all of that that happened with your dad is in this deep, deep, deep place. And the other part just turns off. It does. That's the thing. It's like that's supposed to be the gatekeeper, but you're processing your grief. And your gatekeeper is on like a damn smoke break when Mm -hmm. you need the gatekeeper to be there with you to process this. So if we don't process our grief, if we don't help to heal that trauma, to move it from the place where it's in an irrational zone to a rational zone, it's never going to go away. It's going to stick with us and manifest itself in other parts of our lives, which we go back to the conversation of how, what bubbles up. So when people are afraid to approach someone that's grieving, they're afraid to go up to you and say, oh my God, Natalie, I'm so sorry about your dad. How can I help you? Odds are, they're probably triggered too. And my heart goes out to that. Yeah. Right. Anybody who is not able to recognize that they have a benefit to others in that person's moment of grief, I want them to understand that they do, but that grief is unresolved. And sometimes that helps people to leave to their own resolution. Like I said before, I went to therapy after your dad passed because your dad's death hit me like a ton of bricks and I, I was not dealing well with it. Yeah. And it brought up every other, everything, Mm -hmm. everything. And I went to my therapist. I'm like, why am I not dealing with this? Okay. Why do I feel like a crazy person? It's like, it's not like he was my dad. Mm -hmm. He was my friend, but why am I taking this so hard? And my therapist said, well, let's, let's, talk about this. Like, oh gee, you got divorced. Then you lost your job. Then you lost your grandma. Then you lost one of your best friends. And now you've lost another friend. And oh, you just went through a breakup two months ago. Yeah. Two weeks ago. Yeah. Duh. So at that point, that was when she said, okay, I want you to go through this eight week intensive grief counseling in a group. And my first thought was, Well, that's a whole lot of bullshit that I do not want to do. The last thing I want to do is sit my whiny, crying ass in a room with other people talking about why I'm sad. What if their sad gets on me? Oh my gosh. I have enough sad. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, and that was just what that became was eight weeks of sitting in a room crying with other people that were crying and it was very beautiful and it was very healing and I loved every moment of it. And it was a pivotal moment of my life. But I would not have been able to get there if I didn't have somebody that gave me permission yeah. to feel my grief. Mm-hmm. Do you have any moments for you that were pivotal in your healing? Mm. That you, it's not necessarily that you turn the corner because I don't, I don't believe in the turning the corner of our grief because I don't think that our grief has sharp corners. Our grief is just sort of this round thing that we circle around. But did you have moments where Maybe you saw the sunshine a little bit more. Maybe the clouds parted a little bit. That was a a joyful moment where you thought to yourself, this is going to be okay. Yeah. I'm going to be okay. 
I would say there wasn't any pivotal moments. I would say there's just moments and moments where I kind of can see the world in the way I saw it before trauma and tragedy hit me, um, which I miss. I kind of miss seeing the world a little bit brighter and a little bit more positive and innocent, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And it's amazing it took me till 24. Most people lose that sense of awe when they're kids. I mean, terrible things happen. But when I realized that unprocessed pain is not benign, so like it's going to do something. It's going to hurt you or it's going to hurt someone else. So this is your main job to process this so that you can show up for your people and be the best daughter, be the best sister, be the best friend and person in the world that you can be, you've got to take care of you first. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, older sibling, I'm, of course, trying to take care of my mom. I'm trying to take care mm-hmm. of my sisters. And that's all well and good. Um, but I wasn't taking care of myself first. And I got into some just deep depression and, and just such fatigue and just kind of like, eh, what's the point? Not to the point of wanting to die. That was, I'm very lucky I didn't have that, but it was not really wanting to live, like rather just lay in bed. Mm -hmm. I also just have this voice of my dad in my head being like, you get to live. You better live for the both of us, Mm -hmm. right? So, and he was also humorous and funny, like, he, he was like morbid, right? And of course. so all the things, inappropriate. So I, I, in those moments of like deep pain, I'll never forget. I would say, back to that question, pivotal moment. I'm remembering this now. I was in Mexico. We have this beautiful house in Mexico that my dad, it's all because of my dad. It's so healing. I feel his presence there more than anywhere. I was just up all night, just bawling right like just guttural not cute like crying because I was just so sad and I missed him so much and I just kind of felt like I should walk outside we're, we're right on the water it's gorgeous yeah it was in the middle of the night um in Rocky Point there's like no street lights so you can see all the stars and then the oceans right there it's it's really humbling honestly and I sat outside in a blanket it was really cold And I literally just heard my dad go like, can you just not think about me for a second and get some goddamn sleep? Like. I can hear your dad say that. Yeah. Like put, put it on a shelf, you know, like it's okay not to feel this all the time. Yeah. That's big too. It's okay to have joy. It is, it is actually the best thing you can do for yourself Mm -hmm. and your people. So that was a big one. I, I'm, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. I definitely feel like he's still with me and all of these things. So I can't speak for people that don't believe that. I'm lucky that I believe that. I think it's a beautiful thing and I can feel him and kind of hear him and stuff like that. But sometimes the, sim- the simplest answer is the one. It's just yeah. get the fuck back to sleep. Get, go. Like yeah. there's nothing to fix. There's nothing to do. You're okay. You need some sleep. Yeah, I feel like there are times that I can imagine your dad walking into a room of grieving people and be like, are we still doing this today? Yes. Are we still still talking about this? this? Are we still talking about this? He would do that with everything. Oh, yeah. You know, growing up, it was very few and far between where I would get in trouble with my dad. He was like, if he raised your voice, you knew you did some shit. Okay. (laughs) So I'll never forget one time, like, I don't know, I was a teenager, did something piss him off, doesn't matter. But he had that, you know, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed talk oh, with me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So just, I jumped off the I nearest bridge. Card. No. I, we went to dinner that night. He, he talked to me all day. And then we went to dinner that night as a family. And I was like, Dad, I, I just want to say again, I'm really sorry. This is where I was. He said, are we still talking about this? And he said it all the time in a way of like, guys, life's moving. Yeah. Like, be in it. Get This doesn't matter. I love you. You love me. All is well. I had to straighten you out a little bit. Oh, everything's good. He always would say that. Everything's good. Everything's good, which I miss him saying that, but I try to be the one that says it now. Right. And that, that voice will, I think, always stay with you. Yeah. With that. Right? Oh, yeah. That, that you carry that through the grief and that becomes sort of the guiding principle of, 
hey, this is, this is not the end of the world. Yeah. And so sometimes that's the best way to celebrate the people that we've lost, celebrate the things that we are grieving. You know, it's, I think it was C.S. Lewis that had said something about grief that was along the lines of the pain that we feel now is the happiness that we felt before. Mm. So there's a certain level of gratitude of feeling that grief and owning that grief because on some level, it allows us to recognize and celebrate the happy. If yeah. we didn't have the happy, we wouldn't have the grief. And what a horrible way to move through the life is to not have either one of those emotions. Yeah. But we just don't always get to choose which one we get. Mm -hmm. Life sort of chooses that for us. And then we just kind of have to deal with the cards as they fall. Yeah. One of the things that I think is difficult for people and that was, has been difficult for me in dealing with my grief, especially grief that involves someone else that is still alive. How do we get to that point where we let go? And I don't like the moving on phrase either, but I like more letting go rather than moving on. Yeah. How do we, how do we get there? Letting go as a concept you never had a grasp on it anyway. Right? Oh God, that's beautiful. So letting go is, is a, uh, an illusion because you always, you don't, you don't have a hold on anyone. You don't have a hold on your parents. You don't have a hold on your kids. You don't have a hold on your spouse, your friends. You, you don't own them. You don't hold them ever. So letting go of them you just realize that you never had a grip anyway. Yeah. Right. I've yep. never thought about it that way. That's beautiful. Well, it's, it's helped me a little just to realize that that letting go was an illusion anyway, mm -hmm. like having them was an illusion. Um, and then also just realizing that when it comes to death, I'm not going to talk about divorce. I'll get, I'll get to that in a second, but when it comes to death, the person that you love so much I can guarantee they loved you so much too. And they want you to move forward, mm -hmm. not move on. I keep saying forward. It's very like important because you move forward with them, right? In your heart in everything you do, you infuse them and you make meaning of their life mm -hmm. with the rest of life that you have. Um, they want you to do that. So anytime I feel like, oh gosh, I'm, am I too happy? I remember being like in the beginning, if I was having this moment of levity and grace where I'm just out with my friends, like I needed a night out. I'm like, hold on, nobody posts pictures. I don't want to look happy. Well, <laughs> who am I worried about right now? Because anybody who would say that, I don't want it in my corner anyway. Sure. Um, doesn't everybody want me to be happy? Isn't that the And your dad point? would have wanted you to exactly. be happy. Exactly. And then when it comes to grief of someone who's still alive, that's super complex. Mm -hmm. And then just realizing you're letting go of something that you didn't really have, mm -hmm. like the perceived future. That's sure. always an illusion. That's not real. Nothing's ever guaranteed. No. And so like anything can happen all the time. So you're letting go of an idea. You're letting go of an illusion, but you're not letting go of who you are. You're not letting go of who you're supposed to be, you're getting closer to that. And we're not letting go of the experience of what we had. Yeah. You're not letting go of the relationship. You're not, and you're not invalidating it. Exactly. Like a divorce. Oh, you know, pe people would say failed marriage. No, no, no. Successful timestamp marriage. Right. Absolutely. Because it made you into the people you are. You had a, ch a child. Like sure. it was all on purpose and, mm -hmm. and, and meaningful and real. And you felt what you felt. It just had a timestamp on it. Mm -hmm. No big deal. Yeah. It's okay. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Everything is okay. Whether you're doing well or you're doing not well, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Whether you hurt or whether you cry or whether you're angry, it's all okay. Because you're breathing, you're living. Right. Like that's the sign of life. Mm -hmm. If you're not crying and you're not grieving, then something has happened. Yeah. Right? You're not a human. Yeah. Sociopaths don't feel pain. Yep. If you want to be a sociopath, great. But <laughs> like, it sounds kind of freeing, okay? Yeah. 
But for the rest <laughs> of us that, that want to be it, it kind of sounds nice not to worry about anything. No, don't want to be a sociopath. Let's put that on the record. Um, but it's all signs of life. And if you mute that in any way, and I've done it before, everyone's done it before, like we were saying with, you know, um, uh, drugs, alcohol, sex, you know, diving into relationships, like whatever it is that's kind of escapism from the pain, you're numbing it a little bit. And unfortunately, like I said, you can't selectively numb. So when it's time to feel deep joy and great and gratitude and grace, you can't feel it fully. If you're not feeling the bad stuff fully, you can't feel the good stuff mm-hmm. fully. It is either feel nothing or everything. There's sure. no in-between, which sucks. I wish we could yeah. selectively pick, I do but you too, can't. But I will tell you, I would I would choose feeling everything over 100%. Nothing. I joke around that I have 897 feelings, and on any given day, I need to feel at least 42 of them mm-hmm. in order to feel like a normal person because, yeah. man, they're everywhere. So fun fact... This is something I learned in the grief counseling that I did. Emotions last no more than 20 minutes. Mm. So when we feel something, and this is just something to keep in mind for everybody. If you feel an emotion, if you're going through grief and you feel anger, give yourself a minute. 20 minutes, it's going to be gone. It's going to be replaced probably with something else. Being able to identify what that feeling is. And then allow yourself to release that so it doesn't even has, have to last 20 minutes. Yeah. You can get it so that it lasts five minutes because you are processing. But our emotions are short-lived, much shorter than we think they are. Because they'll evolve over time. Because it is exactly what you said. The floodgate opens. Either we leave the floodgate of emotion open and we allow it to come in so that we can handle it. Or we close that gate off, which closes us off to everything in the world, including people. Yeah. And all the good. Mm-hmm. You can't, it all is same. And even good and bad is, is, is illusion. Grief, we would say is a bad feeling. Is it? Mm-hmm. Because it just means I lost someone that I loved so much. Mm-hmm. I am so, the only thing I can think of that's worse than losing my dad is not having had him at all. Bingo. Right? So. Bingo. Is grief even bad? No, it's a sign of love. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a sign of living, sure. right? And so all of these feelings, just let it all be because then you can just be you and your raw, real self. I wish we all just walked around like grieving people <laughs> sometimes <laughs> because everybody just puts on this front yeah. and it's not real beauty the beauty that I've seen and of people that will tell me about their loss I mean the people that have told me their stories and what they've been through you realize oh shit everyone has experienced grief mm-hmm. in in so many different ways or I hate to break it to you you're gonna Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's just the fact of life. And so you can be, you're not alone. Everybody can feel it. And when you can just take off that armor and that representative that you're putting out into the world and just be the real you, you're going to be able to attract the people that are the real them and have these incredible connections. Yeah, it definitely, the more that we allow ourselves to feel our emotions, the more that we are able to connect with other people and their emotions Mm -hmm. because there is a very human side to us. And one of the things that has been so beautiful for me to watch with you is to watch your growth through this. Thank you. And to see how I feel that you have grown as a person in being able to do that really hard work. My hat's off to you because thank you. I know how hard that is to have to deal with this stuff head on and you have. And I always look at it from a standpoint of I know that I'm not superhuman. As much as I absolutely love and adore you, I don't think that you're superhuman. No, I and need to break y- it. Yeah. So <laughs> no one was thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but we need to to do this and we can't necessarily escape it but watching you do that has been inspiring well thank you and absolutely beautiful thank you and I am so grateful for you to have come here today to talk about this and to share this with others and I hope that this has been incredibly helpful 
to all of you listening. Again, I'm going to put some resources in the show notes because I want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to follow up to read more. I'm also going to do a little bit of research because as Natalie mentioned, not everybody has the resources to Mm -hmm. be able to do some of the work that Natalie and I have done, but there are a lot of free resources out there. I'm going to go ahead Mm -hmm. and see what I can find and put those in the show notes as well, because I think that everybody should have an equal opportunity to heal themselves. Yep. Thank you, my friend, for spending the afternoon with me. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us today. New episodes launch every Monday, so I hope you'll be back. If you enjoyed this podcast, there's several ways to show your support. First, by rating the podcast and leaving a review, you help others to find great content. Second, if you're looking for further connection, consider becoming a patron of the podcast, where you'll have a fun and interesting way to connect with others and even get more information on perspectives and things you may not have considered. Lastly, please share this podcast with a friend. The number one way that podcasts reach more people is through sharing and word of mouth. I appreciate you and your beautiful open mind. See you soon.